This is the Midlife Mail Podcast with Greg Scheiman, brought to you by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group is ensuring success. From the Gal Media Studios, here's Greg Scheinman. All right, it is time for the Midlife Mail Podcast. Greg Scheinman here with you this week and every week as always. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like what you hear, and I certainly hope you do, please leave us that five-star rating, write a nice review, subscribe to the show, and please tell all of your friends to keep the Midlife Mail movement growing. I am super excited this week. My buddy Cal Callahan joins me on the program. Cal works in podcasts from Austin, Texas. He's living there with his wife, his daughter, his two boys, two dogs, and no joke, their pig, Petunia. He's got a podcast himself. It's called The Great Unlearn. He also just put out an incredible ebook featuring five of the super high-performing guys that he's had on The Great Unlearn. Check that out. He is giving that away for free. He is an entrepreneur. He is out of Chicago where he made his mark in the trading industry before moving on, getting involved in health and wellness and fitness and CrossFit and the Grid League and all sorts of amazing things that Cal has done. And now he is in Austin, Texas, doing the great unlearn, reaching out to people, has an amazing daily Coffee with the Callahans podcast, YouTube that he's also doing. The guy has got his hands in some really, really amazing stuff. And if you follow him on Instagram as well, you can see what he's up to. And I'm inspired, somebody I certainly want to hang out with. This was a lot of fun to do. So without further ado, let's get into the Midlife Mail podcast this week with Cal Callahan. I really appreciate you doing this. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh, this is such an honor, brother. Like we're, I had no idea as I've been, you know, reading through your newsletters and listening to some of your podcasts, like, dude, we're... We're brothers. I love this. I no, I appreciate it. I mean, I feel the same way that there's so many similarities in in the writing that you're doing, the conversations that you've been having. Um, I mean, even just seeing you outside playing basketball in the rain, you know, with your kids the other night, I was like, this this guy, we're living some parallel parallel lives over here. We got a half court in our backyard also, and we're on it all the time. Oh, and it's so good, right? And and I'm glad you brought that up because that was, uh, I am for so long, I'm sure it was sometime in high school or maybe after, I just stopped enjoying being in the rain. It was like whatever that mindset shift was. And I finally, as you know, like you and I are both exploring all these ideas about why do we, feel, why do we have these preferences? They're so silly, some of them. And uh, that was one where my son and I, who's 17 years old, and he's a really good basketball player, and I'm not. I'm I'm a hockey player, and I can grind, and I can rebound, and I can talk shit. But aside from that, like he's way better than me. But so we do every day. We try to go out and play a couple games of basketball, and it's just a way for us before he goes off to college in a year or so for us to really have that time together. And uh it just came to my attention that I, I didn't, you know, the weather was so affecting my outlook on the day. Just mm-hmm. the way, right? Looking at that weather app and just letting it 
I mean, four days away, it's going to rain. Shit. <laughs> well, I think it's it's interesting about kind of perception, you know, and and mindset in that regard about you can look at it as saying like, oh, crap, we're stuck indoors because the rain is coming and all of the what can't we do? Or what can we do here? You know, what could be fun or what could be different you know, out there? You know? Um, you know, I've just, just been spending a lot of time kind of on mindset, particularly now, you know, um, in terms of, you know, how do you look at things? How do you perceive things? How can you stay positive? Uh, and how much better energy does that just bring back into your life and everybody's life around you? Yeah. And I, I would even say like positive is a, is a, is a great kind of stretch goal. What if we just stayed neutral? <laughs> and I think that's where I was getting hung up because, you know, sometimes when I would get into the positive, those negatives would seem more negative because of the disparity between the two. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Michael Singler's uh, book, The Surrender Experiment. No, I'm not. It's where I started to kind of play around with these ideas that I have these personal preferences that have been programmed either knowingly or unknowingly. And they run so much of how I feel and act and the things I say yes and no to. Mm -hmm. And once and, I, well. No, go on, go on. I was going to say, once I started to recognize that, you know, you know, I bring up this idea of the weather, like that was really something. I'd ask my wife, you know, one day I said, how often do you check the weather? She's like, I, I, do, do, I, do I have a weather, weather app on my phone? Like she never checks it. <laughs> I'm like, you never check it? Like I check it three, four times a day. I want to see what tomorrow is going to be like the rest of the day. I want to see what's going to be like in the next eight days. And on the one hand, it's it's never really right. And you're, you're I, for me, I was relying on a symbol, right? I'm not even looking at a detailed forecast. I'm looking on my phone. It's supposed to rain in seven days. It may rain for 30 minutes and be sunny the rest of the day. And so I just started to really unpack that idea like, whoa, I'm letting this affect me. What if I were just neutral or just had gratitude for each day and took the weather out of play? And then the next step was to your point, how can I be positive when it's something that previously upset me? And so when it rained that day, it's funny, I'd written a a newsletter about it. And for fucking 10 days in a row, it was so nice here in Austin. I'm like, damn it. Like, I can't, I can't go out and enjoy this bad weather. So anyway, <laughs> it finally rains. It's well, raining like a son of a bitch. You saw the, the video. Yeah. It was, it was awesome. <laughs> and again, you look at it and you go, okay, well, is that a more memorable experience? You know, in a way like, okay, we're going to remember doing that a lot more then you know the 10, 20, 50 times that we were out there when conditions were perfect. Exactly. And, and I, I think it's I, I didn't even thought of that, which is a great point. And it's kind of those situations that are like, you know, they're perfectly imperfect. I don't know who coined that term. And it's like, but those are the ones that stand out a lot more. Yeah, and those aren't celebrated. You're right. We we were looking for that 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 uh that that level of perfection. We're looking for things to fit in this particular box or to have this memory and this is the way it's supposed to be. And those things, yeah, they they generally just they're they're hollow and they are lost in the memories. Where this one in particular, I mean, 
honestly, it was more fun playing in the rain than it is when it's like 80 degrees out. It was just, in <laughs> in no, listen, it actually levels the playing field too because he's he, he can't dribble. You know, it's affecting his dribbling because <laughs> we've got puddles everywhere. I dribble like a hockey player, so it doesn't matter. And yeah, anywhere we can get an advantage as a dad right now against teenagers is a, is a, is a win. Yes. Yes. So anyway, we had a blast and it was fun to get wet in like real, like, you know, once you finally get wet, you can't get more wet and you get over the fact that you're not going to melt. It's like the, as silly as that sounds, there's, there's this notion when it's raining outside and you go outside and you kind of, your shoulders are up near your ears and you're just protecting yourself. Like for what? It's water. It's just water. But for some reason I've, I've had this ingrained in me. You know, and the cool thing that as, as you just riff on this and kind of the, the emotion comes out, I mean, just, you know, I've got a 16 year old and, and a 13 year old. So, so real close, you know, yeah. you're thinking about the years that you have left before they go off into college and you can just hear the excitement in your voice and trying to, you know, make sure that we capture as many of these experiences as we possibly can, you know, as we're, we're at this phase in life. Cause my wife and I were just talking about it the other day. It's like, you know, there's, there's a finite amount of time, you know, that we still have left with these boys before they, before they go out, you know, they go on to college. So make, making the most of all that is hugely important. So it's just, it's just cool to kind of hear the excitement and the love, you know, in your voice to take advantage of those moments. Mm, thank you. Yeah. And, and I think you, you and your wife bring up a great point. And I think where we go wrong with that point is when we sit there and we almost, we try to deny the inevitable. We resist it. Like, I don't want him to go away. I don't want my, you know, my, I got a 12 year old daughter. I don't want her to grow up. I want, okay. So there's a certain part of you that always wants them with you because you love being around them, but they are going to go on and they will not live in your house for the rest of their lives. And you know that, you know, your experience and my experience, how important that was to have that autonomy. And so we can just honor that and know that it's going to happen and be aware of the moment. I may have another year plus with Jake living in our house. Now he may live here through college, you know, in the summertime and whatever. But at the end of the day, he and I aren't playing basketball every day. So what can I do? How can I be more intentional with the time we spend together and I had mentioned like basketball, it was as this quarantine was settling into place, we started to play basketball every couple of days. And, and then it occurred to me, why don't he and I, as long as we're living under the same roof, why don't we play basketball every day or compete in some way in something that he enjoys, particularly what he enjoys? I, I, I'm fine to, it's harder to get the kids to do what you want to do. So I'm fine to that. Mm -hmm. And and it just happened to be basketball, and that's what we've done. And we've missed a few days, but sometimes it gets replaced by a family game of Nukem, you know, in the backyard, and that's really fun. And so it's, you know, I'm sure you've been talking about this as well. There's a, there's a lot of ways to um, look at what's been happening, and I think for for us. Um, and maybe we don't have some of the hardships that other people are experiencing. And so I want to be totally sensitive to that and be aware of that and, and not, um, you know, kind of downplay what some real um, struggles people are having through this time. But for us, it has been an opportunity to see how we're spending our time and what can we do to really 
be as a family and whether I think a lot of families are, they're, they're having dinner together and that may be the only thing, but wow, how powerful is that? If you have, I mean, you've got boys that are 13 and 16. My boys are 14, 17. My daughter's 12. They've all got stuff going on. And so dinner together, maybe on the weekends, but even then now it's every night and my mom's living with us and my Mm. niece is here. So we have this extended family that is really engaged in this this one thing that we're we're really trying to be intentional about during the day. And then if we play Nukem or we do these other things throughout the day, it's great. It's just gravy, but it's those moments together. It's ingrained now. Totally. Yeah, we've been shooting for at least one breakfast, lunch, or dinner you know, <laughs> together. Because the reality is, as you said, we haven't had that option or those opportunities. And I don't even know how long. I mean, the calendar was so full and we can, we can get into all this stuff, you know, and and unpack this later of things that were quote unquote necessities or obligations between all the meetings and all the sports and all the school and everything else. And when you wipe that slate clean to an extent, and you you have an opportunity to bring back into your life and in your schedule what you want. It's it's pretty eye opening, you know the the notion of being able to have any one of the three meals together during the day, whatever works best for our schedules, uh, is pretty amazing. You know, right now, when we were lucky, as you said, if we had one evening over the course of the week to get something in together, because we're always like. You know, my wife and I feel like we're just crisscrossing, just passing back and forth. And now at least my 16-year-old, he drives and he's taking his brother to school and there's activities afterwards. I mean, we were always saying, look, if it's not on the calendar, it doesn't exist. And now, <laughs> like, it's flipped around completely. Now it's like, okay, what's every, what are we doing today? You know, and how, and how do we, you know, respect each other's space, respect each other's time. And there's still some school going on and some other stuff, but- We've now got this empty space that's been built into our days that we can use to find find things to do together. It's it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, it is, and and you know it's funny. Uh, it just you just made me think about like all of a sudden you have these young kids, and one starts to have an activity, and the next one, and and before you know it, that schedule is is just gone, and you forget how lucky you were to have di- have almost all your meals together when they were growing up and then it's, it's kind of overnight, it seems like it's gone. Uh, and so this has been an opportunity to, to re-engage in that practice, which you look at any of the studies, the families that eat dinner together and all that goes along with that whole, um, activity, it's almost like a ceremonial thing during the day. It, It just bears out that these families have, you know, kind of there, there are better outcomes if we want to put a judgment on it. Right. And I think to your point though, that we're blessed in that we're healthy and that we have opportunities and a quality of life in an environment that we're in that, you know, yeah, you can, you could say you could feel a little bit guilty about everything, but I think, you know, from the, from the opposite way of looking at it, we're really blessed to be healthy and have these things in our life. So we'd be, it would be worse if we didn't appreciate them and take advantage of them. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
Well said. You know, and so, you know, so I been, can, there's so many things I want to jump in. Yeah, let's fire with, away with, with you on, and and so much stuff I want to learn or or unlearn. You know, to to an extent um, from you on here, and we could just vibe on this stuff all all day long. But I want to just add, go kind of circle back a little bit and just paint the picture for me a little bit. Like, like how does your day start? Great, great question. And today, obviously, it's different than maybe you know three months ago, but. Um, and I'll back up a little bit to, um, for 40 days while we were, you know, kind of in the beginning of quarantine, a friend of mine, Boyd Vardy, who is a South African lion tracker, decided that he was going to spend 40 days and 40 nights on the game reserve at Londolozi in South Africa. And so he was basically going to live in a tree. It's not technically a tree house, but it was like a platform and there's a bed and there's, it was had some stuff with a tarp over in case it rained, but he was living out on the land. Now, what was really cool about that, aside from all the, um, you know, all those obvious cool parts of it was that Boyd would do a 10 to 15 minute daily broadcast and he would drop it off at a particular place and then his people would go grab it and they would put up the podcast. And so how I started my day was I would make I would get up, I would make coffee, and my wife and I would sit on the couch and we would listen to Boyd. Now, I highly recommend all your listeners to go to his podcast called Track Your Life with Boyd Vardy. It's 40 days, and each day he, he he's an incredible storyteller. He has a deep wisdom about him that is ageless. Each day, it was just like freaking mind-blowing what he could come up with. And it's like to the point where you're like, dude, like, can you just have an off day? But it was, it was amazing, right? So it was, it was a way for us to settle in into our day together. And it was awesome for my wife and I. Now, that ends. At 40 days, it's over. And we have our coffee and we just sit and have conversations. And so that's been great. Well, Saturday night, we... We have a guest house, and so we slept in the guest house. We had kind of a date night. We played Scrabble and had just a really awesome night listening to records. And we woke up the next morning, and I made her coffee. And Well, I made us both coffee, and I picked up um, The Art of Insecurity by Alan Watts. I just pick a random page and read it to her. And so I read the, the page, and we just started talking about it. And 30 minutes later, she picks up uh, The Mastery of Love by Don Miguel Ruiz and and randomly reads like four or five pages and not surprisingly they have they intertwine and we sit there and have an hour conversation and it occurs to us you know what it'd be really fun to just do this as like a podcast or something and so monday i set up the mics and we just sat down we had coffee and we just riffed on whatever we wanted to talk about we'd read some stuff and our mornings now are started with this podcast, which I may or may not release. I'll probably put it up on YouTube. And if I feel like it, it'll be a podcast. But it's a way for us to have a conversation to share what we're learning or unlearning, as you would say, and um, have some fun with it and be intentional. Like, you know, every morning we're going to have a conversation and we'll record it for fun. Um, and today was, was a little bit more fun than yesterday because we were like, we need this just to be a conversation. Because it was a little bit like a podcast yesterday, 
because that was my my default, right? I've recorded what 20, 25 podcasts by now. And so that's just what I know. And so today it's like, okay, you cut me off whenever you want. Like, let's make pretend <laughs> people are in the room and let's show them the the real us as much as you can, knowing there are mics there. And so that's how we start our day. And then I get and I start to do some work around my podcast, The Great Unlearn, or writing my newsletter for Sunday. Um, I just released an ebook, so I'm kind of managing some responses on that, you know, keeping up with some social media stuff, which is I don't love, you know, but but mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a necessary thing if you want to, you know, continue to grow uh, an audience and create a brand and put yourself out there. And so I pay some attention to that. And then I like to read and I'll meditate and just kind of see what happens. I went over to have a little, a few tacos for lunch and I went up to see my 14 year old and he was playing Minecraft. He's like, dad, will you just sit and watch me play for a little while? I was like, okay. So I sat and watched him play and he's explaining everything to me. And he's, he's, he's amazing at the way he explains it because it's a completely different language as I'm sure you know. <laughs> Right. (laughs) And um, he's very patient with me and I try to ask good questions and and I try to be engaged because there was a time when I would sit and be there, but would not be paying attention. And I'd be behind him and just kind of doing whatever I wanted. And and they know and you know, and that doesn't feel good for anybody. And so Mm -hmm. just for me to have the invitation to be present with him, you know, I'm grateful for him for for providing that for me. You know, just one of the ways I know it can be often lost on us, you know, the children, our children, are our teachers, but there are ways if we're paying attention that they're really trying to teach us. He just asked me, didn't, he didn't ask me to play or do anything. He's like, dad, will you just sit and watch me? Very clearly, it's I want you, you to be- do that too. I've got Minecraft in one room and I think um, Fortnite, you know, in, in the other room. And it's, and it's yes, funny you say too. that because I, I kind of go back and forth between- you know, both of both of the rooms and they've all got their friends, you know, online with them also. So we can all see each other too. So yeah. I'll be sitting in, you know, sitting on the bed in the 16 year old's room where he's going at it. And he's like, you know, what are you, what are you doing here? <laughs> then now he's gotten used to the fact that I hang out for a while just because I want to want to be around. And then, you know, I'll actually go and interact with a bunch of the 13 and 14 year olds with my younger son they're still interested like in making fun of me. Like they, they'll actually engage a little bit more. So I love it. They're, they're both, they're both fun. I wanted to ask you though, uh, like what was the impetus for starting, you know, the great unlearn and I, just really how you just decided to kind of utilize the time that you have and say, I want to have a podcast. I want to have a newsletter. I want to put content out there. Yeah. Great question. Um, I guess the best place to start it. Well, let me just give, I'll give everyone just a quick background. I was a, I was a trader in Chicago for 18 years. I left the business in 2013 and then uh, we moved to Austin. I was to get into the fitness business. I was really into training and nutrition and lifestyle and life coaching and was doing some certifications around that. And it was what all my attention was directed at. And so when I decided not to open up a facility down in Austin, I got involved with the National Pro Grid League, which is how you and I know each other through your brother, Jarrett, and I worked together with the Phoenix Rise. And yep. that lasted for three seasons, uh, ended in 2016. 
from there, I, I had this sense of uh, disappointment, a major disappointment. I really wanted the league to work. Um, I love sports. I love competition. I loved fitness. And it was basically taking CrossFit and putting in a team atmosphere like a traditional sport. And the concept was really amazing and it, and it was so fun and the, the, the athletes involved were so alive. And for me, it was me in my true calling. I was, you know, as the CEO of the team, I really felt this call to care for them and to provide for them in any way that I could and to be there for any advice or life lessons that I could share. Because at that point, you know, I'm a lot older than all of them. And mm-hmm. so I really enjoyed having that role. But when it when it when the league folded, you know, I had a uh an emotional investment for sure that that stung. It really hurt because I loved it. Um but there was a financial component that it was the biggest financial loss I'd I'd ever incurred. And I beat myself up about it because you know, the, the inner critic said you didn't do any due diligence and you just jumped into this thing and, you know, all the, the ways I wanted to beat myself up. And so for about three years, I really, I really had some um, regrets in a sense about it. Uh, fortunately, that switched about a year ago and I started to see all the beauty and all the lessons that I was actually learning from that experience. But uh, in the process, uh, so that ended in September 2016. A little over a year later, I happened to be in Las Vegas at the Route 91 mass shooting. And mm. that experience, um, being there kind of hunkered down while, while you know, things were, were going down, really changed things for me. And I realized that at that point, I was 45, going on 40, almost 46 retired. I'd retired from trading at 41. And I'd really done the things that, you know, we're told we're supposed to do to feel fulfilled. You know, those are those measures of success that are generally all material. And you could throw in some physical things that I was in really good shape and, and took care of myself. But um, I had an emptiness in that moment. And it was like, how the fuck did this happen? Here I am in this situation. Like it may you know, just very matter of fact, like this may be it. Um, and just so disappointed in how my life had turned out. So odd, you know, anybody looking from the outside, like, dude, you, you live in the life. And yeah, but I had lost all connection to myself and to my family and I just was lost. And so that, that experience shifted everything for me. And I started to seek out answers um, even when I didn't feel like I had the tools, I started to look for tools to figure it out. And so in the past two and a half years, it's been about that, that deep kind of existential inquiry for me. And as I've been going through it, I've been sharing it with people a little bit on social media, but with just friends and other people. And honestly, it's just been by the reaction that I've been getting people because they're kind of fascinated and, and they're, they're looking for another way. They're looking mm-hmm. for another way than what's being sold to men, particularly out there. And I was showing them a different way that it was not about adding things and doing this and this supplement. And 
and all the ways we're trying to be someone else. It's about going deep into yourself and stripping away all the shit you've put on, all the avatars, all the masks, all the ideas of who you're supposed to be and just like really getting, trying to get to the root of who you are. And then once you get there to just accept all of it and be okay with it and just love that version. And so as I've been on that journey and, you know, really understood it, you know, I haven't achieved it. I don't think you ever like achieve that full enlightenment or, or whatever you want to call it. But I think is having the awareness around it has been so beneficial to me that I'm just curious now and I want to share what I'm learning to help others because, you know, Greg, there's just not, you know, three years ago, I, I didn't know, who, I'm sure there were people out there that were sharing a similar message. I just wasn't tuned into them. And so yep. I, I want to be the one, you know, I almost say it's like a mindfulness or a spirituality or something for dummies. It's, I don't look like I'm not a yogi or anything like that. I look, I'm a very kind of, you know, show up very masculine and, and, but there's a, there's a feminine essence to what I've tapped into that I want other men that maybe identify maybe more visually with me to know that, yeah, you can do this too, brother. You don't have to be just the, the breadwinner of the home and the rock and the protector. Like you, you can be the lover and you can cry in front of your kids and you can do all these things. It's okay. And in fact, when you start to do that, you're going to feel a completeness that you never knew you could access. And your kids, by the way, there's nothing better than you can give your kids than to model that balance between the masculine and the feminine. At least that's, that's the way I feel. Com completely. Um, I want to ask you, going back to Chicago and going back to the trading, because because I get asked this a lot too. It's like, well, how do you have you know, but the time, you know, or the means, or like to to do that, you know. Again, you mentioned from the outside looking in, you know, from the outside looking in, everything looks great, you know. Look at this lifestyle and look at everything. But I think a lot of guys out there question like, how did you get, you know, how did you get there? Or I can't do that too, you know. So I'd like to to touch on a little bit, you know, first, like what got you into, you know, finance and trading and what was it that got you out of there? Um, and I guess to an extent also like how much the money really matters, you know, in all of it too. Yeah. Great question. I, I'll say first off, um, the money matters in a sense that it's allowed me the bandwidth and the time to put a deep focus on this space where I'm well aware that, that, that other men and women who have just have jobs that they have to go to, you know, I haven't had a job. And so I've been able to go into the inquiry of this, um, in a way that feels like I said, I can get to a depth that maybe some others can't. And again, that's a part of the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. I, I want to create a little bit of a shorter pathway for others that don't have the means and the time to go do the different retreats and investigate working with different coaches. Um, it's, I'm starting a mastermind here in the next you know, probably month or so as a way to bring these teachers and guides that I've worked with that have been beneficial to me. It's like a, almost like a cheat sheet. Like, look, Here's a, here's a touch on each of these um, people that I've worked with 
and see what resonates with you. That way you don't have to go out and find them all, right? So that's, again, that's a way that I'm trying to be of service to people because I do recognize that that it's rare that you, you know, people would have the time to do this or the resources. Now, back to your other question, I got into trading just like a lot of people get into jobs where you can make money. I wanted to make a lot of money. And, you know, playing hockey in college, I was very competitive and that happened to suit me really well. And to be frank, I had no idea what trading was about. I knew that you just had to be competitive and pretty good at math. And I was both. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll interview for this job. I happened to go 0 for 10 on consulting and iBanking job interviews prior to that. So I didn't have a lot of options. Uh, so I get the job and I find out I'm pretty good at it. And so, you know, I had, you know, for a long time, I, I was successful and I was partners with a couple other guys and we had a pretty decent sized trading firm. And, and we had a brotherhood within that group that was, was, I mean, still stands to this day. It has only gotten stronger um, as we've done our personal work. You know, this, this, this brotherhood has gotten to a level that I could have never imagined even a year ago. Um, so it's been really special. Was there a tipping point or a particular, almost anything that you said, okay, this is, this is the time I'm getting out or I'm transitioning from this? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, are you familiar with the, the work of David Data, The Way of the Superior Man? I am not. Uh, I'm, 0 for, I'm 0 for 2 now yeah. on books that you brought up. That's great. That just means you got two books you're going to read you're going to love. I promise. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I was given that book. Uh, interestingly enough, by my fitness coach. And he's not really my, I mean, he was the guy I was partners with in the Phoenix Rise, James Fitzgerald. And now he's more, much more than a fitness coach, but he was my coach. He's like, Cal, I think you should read this book. You'd really enjoy it. Well, in one of the chapters, uh, David Data talks about this idea, if you're working on a project and you could end it today without completing it and have no hard feelings about it. And just all these different iterations of like, if you're doing this, dude, you need to leave whatever the fuck you're doing. And I'm in a coffee shop in Chicago reading this on a Sunday and I literally start crying. I realized that for the past year, year and a half, I was just faking it at work. I felt so unfulfilled. I was a partner and I was, it was just, just a lack of congruency in being there. And it unburdened me of that feeling. It's like, oh, dude, you just need to leave. It's, 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 you're not a bad guy. You're not a bad partner. You're just completely unfulfilled and it's time for you to move on. And again, like I said earlier, I was, I was really into fitness and had already been taking uh, courses through James at, at OPEX uh, to coach and was loving what I was learning. And so it was an easy transition for me to leave trading and go into the fitness business. Now you got to remember too, I was a partner, so I'd done well, you know, where my other buddies who w worked with me weren't partners necessarily. And so they didn't have maybe the same nest egg that I did. And so it just... Mm -hmm. You know, so many people have said to me, guys, it takes real courage to leave a job like that. Well, not, not really. I, um, I, I'm sorry. I've got someone knocking on the door. 
Um, <laughs> so uh, please excuse that. That um, is real. That is real life. Okay? That's right. This is this is <laughs> this is unwrapped. So it didn't take courage for me to leave. It would have taken a lot more courage for me to stay because over the last year, year and a half, I was either flat money or down money as a firm. And so as a partner, if your firm does not make money, you have certain capital requirements. And you know who has to make up those requirements? It's the partners. And so one year I had to write a check. And so it's not that difficult to leave when you're not making any money, uh, when you're used to making really good money. And so, Mm -hmm. um, but again, like, you know, when you know it's time to leave, like you see professional athletes, they might not want to leave, but they know, they know it's time. And you do leave behind a brotherhood. You know, for me, I left behind a brotherhood, but I was feeling so shitty about being at work that I was willing to give up anything. And, um, and so I did, and I got into, you know, I went balls deep in fitness and, you know, I left in March of 2013. We had moved to Austin in August of that year. How'd you pick Austin? Not, not to just, you know, get back to the story, but I'm just curious. Yeah. I had been there a couple of times, never thought of living here because I always thought I was gonna live in Chicago. And, um, we were, my wife Peyton and I were in Santa Monica in January that year. And I'm like, why do we live in Chicago? If we don't have to live in Chicago, why would we live in Chicago? You know, Santa Monica is gorgeous in freaking January all year round. And so that just started to turn the wheels for us. And we started to ask around, like, what are you guys like? Where would people live? And Austin just kept coming up. And we, again, we never thought about living here. So we came down to visit in April. It was actually on our anniversary in April. Had an amazing time. Loved it. Loved it. Flew to San Diego from here to look at San Diego and La Jolla and that area and thought it was beautiful. And, it, and in that time, it was actually a good time to buy real estate in San Diego. Stuff was pretty depressed. Um, but we just felt more comfortable here in Austin. And so we just did it. We said, fuck it. Let's just move to Austin. Why, like, why not? We didn't, How know, old were the we kids? didn't know We didn't know anybody. Uh, so that was 2013. I had a fifth grader a second grader and a first grader. What's that conversation like? Um, you know, we went in with the idea that like, look, people do this all the time. This is the background talk between Peyton and I. People do this all the time. Kids are resilient. They're going to be fine. They'll stay friends with, like, it's happy, it's just, let, let's not make a big deal of this. Let's make this an exciting adventure. We're going to move to Austin. The weather's great. Um, and the one we were worried about was our oldest, as you can imagine. He probably has the deepest relationships. And he was the one that was like, oh, cool, awesome. He gets to play sports outside all year round. He loves that. Um, it was my second grader, Bo, who had the hardest time because his best friends were our neighbors. It was uh, one boy and his two twin brothers. And Bo fit right in between the ages and they were like four brothers and that was really hard for him. Um, and so we tried to honor that and, and bring him back to Chicago every now and then to see the boys, but they've loved it here. They spend a lot of time outside and, um, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for their, their reception to it. 
um, because it could have been a sticking point. But I think what helped was that when we, we moved here, neither Peyton or I had a job. And so we were able to be fully present at all times with the kids. And it was actually a period of time, which we're experiencing now, where we didn't know anybody. So we would have dinner together every night. And we'd spend all this time together because, you know, like that's what we knew. And we felt comfortable with our family unit. And that was a really special time for us. And I think, again, what made it so special was that Peyton and I were fully available. Like imagine we move, one of us is working, the other one is, is dealing with a lot of this and it's really hard on the family. I got an appreciation yeah. for what that must be like for a lot of families. So I'm grateful for mm -hmm. that. So you moved to Austin and the kids get settled. You and Peyton get settled. What's the move like within the community? Like, what do you do then <laughs> when you have all these choices? Hmm. Well, well, all right. So, I want, can you rephrase that for me? Yeah. I mean, I was just looking for kind of when you pick up and you move from Chicago and now you're, you're living in Austin and you mentioned neither one of you or Peyton have a job. Um, how do you go about, I guess, getting involved in the community or following the, the passions or the things that you want to do? I've never just up and relocated, you know, a family. Yeah. Well, great question. We're, and we're homebodies. So we're not, we're not, um, ne listen, we can be social just like anyone else, but we do like our, our time together as a family. It gets even, um, as you can imagine, right? You don't have a job, so you're not meeting people. We had our, our gym was in our garage, so we didn't go to a gym to meet people. And we would meet some people at the kids' school, but you know, people didn't know what to make of us. Like, who are these people? They always show up in gym clothes. They're really fit. And we, you know, it's not that we weren't talking to people, but we just kind of hung out by ourselves. And mm -hmm. um, I think we got a little bit of a sense that people were trying to figure us out. And we kind of enjoyed the fact that people didn't know who we were and that we kind of came down there. And for me, just shedding this idea that I'm a trader. Like people don't even, they understand it to some degree, but not like people in Chicago know what a trader is. And so they had no idea. They just looked at me as this guy who was in really good shape. And, um, you know, we would slowly start to make friends with people. And it's, it's hard, man. Like you don't always vibe with people. And, yeah. you know, in the beginning it can be really cool, but you know that it's like, you're kind of going on on dates with people almost. And eventually you start to see that ah, maybe we just don't have a lot of common interests. Um, I think just the fact that we never felt this need to be super social, it just served us. Um, and we were okay. I, yeah, I think with, it's with great. People. And I identify with it a lot. I mean, there's a little feeling of like, you know, being the outlier, you know, a little bit, or, you know, maybe you've got your kids in some of these traditional activities and schools and places, but you know, we kind of look and act a little different, you know, than the, than the rest of the other grownups, you know, in the room. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, where I was back in 2013 to where I am today, I would, I would handle it much differently. 
Um, I think there, if I'm being honest, there was a bit of virtue signaling for me. Like I, I, however that wants to play out, like I'm in great shape and just kind of not a complete overtone of being a dick, but like I could see where I, I was pretty proud of myself in some ways. Mm -hmm. Um, where I would be much more open to whoever, um, where I think back then I was more interested in, in, um, who on the outside looks like I have similar interests with And and what's, what's, what's interesting is that the, the few people that I kind of identified, we didn't have similar interests, but we kind of looked similar, whether it was, we were in good shape or whatever. And it just, it just goes to show, man, you just got to give people an opportunity in a blank slate and go in with fricking no expectations. Yep. I've gotten so much of that wrong, you know, over time for so many of the same reasons, you know, um, it's, it's really interesting to hear you, hear you talk about that. I want to ask you a little bit about, you know, you just went through your story and, and, and leaving your firm where you were a partner and moving across the country. There's, there's a lot of noise out there. At least I think there's a lot of noise out there, um, particularly on through social media and a lot of these podcasts and other things where you know, it's quit your job. You know, if you're not happy, quit your job and and do this and follow your passions and and just I think a lot of it is is very unrealistic for a lot of for a lot of men overall. I mean, you had your situation, I've got my situation, but I'd love to get your perspective on on some of that stuff of the, you know, quit your job, follow your passion, or, you know, maybe you can't, but how can you take steps to improve the life that you're already in? If, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And it's funny. I've been thinking about this a fair amount and I haven't really spoken about it, but I think what you said is so prevalent and it's, and I couldn't agree more. It's such a bad prescription for people. It's not realistic. It's go find your passion. What the fuck does that mean? You know, what I like to tell people, and this is again, if I, if I got to bring up Boyd Vardy here, um, you know, I spent uh, five days in South Africa last July at one of his retreats. And he has a book out called The Lion Trekker's Guide to Life. But one of the things he says is just, just what makes you feel alive? In Not the job that makes you feel alive or the thing that you're supposed to be doing for the next 20 years. But today, what is it that you can identify? It could be the smallest little thing, but what is that that brings you joy? And when you identify that, okay, pay attention. Okay. Stay with that. That is your first track. Stay with that first track and then try to take another little step. Like it, it, what happens is you start moving in a direction and you start opening up to possibilities. You're not trying to figure out what that flag is at the end of this whole thing and how to get there. You're just trying to figure out what makes me feel good right now, today. I can still have the job that I don't like because I need to put food on the table. But I can pay attention to the things that make me feel alive. And then slowly over time, if you pay enough attention to those things, you start to say yes to those things. You continue to say yes to those things. And you say no to all the things that don't feel really good. And I know for me, for one, I didn't do a good job of that. 
things that seemed like an okay idea. Or yeah, sure. I didn't, you know, part of that was my insecurity. I didn't want to miss out that FOMO. I did not want to miss out on an opportunity, whatever. So I'd say yes to so many things, zero discernment. And, and I think that serves you. It serves a purpose. It, you know, for me, I had to spend years there to realize that that's not the way. But now mm. I know because I experienced it. I don't have to take someone's word for it. And that's something I, I you know, is, is important for me to share with people is you have to have your own experience with it. So don't take my word for it. Don't take your word for it. Have your own experience. Listen to what we're saying and maybe it'll give you a little pointer, but have your own experience and then come away with what feels right for you. And so, yeah, that, that idea that we can find our passion is bullshit. And it's, it's, it's perpetuated by so many people who, who want to give you the eight steps to be just like them and their success. And it's all fucking bullshit. I'm like, I just get fired up about that because I think it sends a lot of people, particularly men down a bad path. It preys on their insecurities in this idea that their success in Porsches and private planes and all this other materialistic stuff is right around the corner if you just listen to what I did. It's bullshit. We all have our own path. It's uncovering it. And it has to do with going inward, not figuring out these things, you know, that this other guy is doing. So, yeah, man, like, it's, it's, it's bullshit, complete bullshit, <laughs> at least in my opinion, in my experience. And no, and your, and your opinion counts. I mean, again, I'm just, I'm listening because I've written about this. I talk about this. A lot of what, you know, I think you and I both are going after in a way is to try to help people navigate, you know, through, through the situations and places that they are in their, their lives to get to a better place. And a lot of that is, is trial, trial and error. Um, but I, you know, say to people all the time, like, you know, Talk to me when you're married and have two kids and private school tuitions and taxes and you're a partner in a firm. Talk to me then about how easy it is to just quit your job, you know, or move somewhere. Exactly. In there. Let's let's not maybe do that. Let's see what we can improve, as you were saying, within the environment that you're in. Let's talk about where you can fill some space that's more productive or more authentic and happier overall. Cause I'm with you this whole, like, let me just follow my passion or even know exactly what my passion is. I don't think most people know if you're lucky enough to know great, but I think a lot, most guys are, they're doing things, you know, how they even got there. They're not even totally sure how they got there, but that's the thing that they're doing. Now it's what else can you do? You know, to, to really kind of round out the rest of your life and feel more fulfilled. Yeah, it, it, exactly. And I think, you know, I alluded to it earlier, but I think a, a lot of times our, our culture is telling us to add more things to an already complex and busy and overloaded life. What if we started to weed the garden and we started to take away those things that weren't serving us anymore and we really got clear on what was, and again, you know, people listening, the, the one of the biggest things that has served me is to pay attention, to make the unconscious conscious. And you can only do that by paying attention. Don't listen to what other people are telling you to do. Listen to what feels right for you. And I got, you know, I got a great piece of advice, I don't know, five, six weeks ago. I was actually on a Zoom call 
and it was on a, a men's call and a friend of mine was sharing, you know, how a lot of us deal with depression, anxiety, looking at the past, you know, worrying about the future, all these ideas and we're not in the present moment. And I think it's very common for a lot of us. And so he just asked a simple question. He said, right now in this moment, when you look around, like literally in this moment, are you okay? And unless you're like objectively not okay, or not talking about circumstances that are going around all around you and the, the stories you're telling us yourself about the bills you need to pay and the things you need to fix and all that. Like right now, as you sit in your chair or you're driving in your car or whatever, are you okay? And almost always the answer is yes. But so rarely do we ask ourselves that. We're so worried about what we have to do and what we should be doing and what we need and all the scarcity and it just doesn't really serve us. It just puts this nervous, scared energy out there and we start doing things out of lacking, out of needs versus like, what do we really want? And it comes back to tapping into that inner peace. Like, what do you really want? Like, sit with that. Maybe you don't even try to answer it intellectually with like words. Just sit in that meditative state and be uncomfortable not knowing, but at least creating the space for it to emerge if it wants to. Yep. To further that a little bit, you know, another one of my hot buttons is, is you know, hustle, grind, compete every day. You know, again, <laughs> a lot of out there. Unpack that for me a little bit. Your, your take on, on all that shit. Yeah, it's well said. It's it's all shit the way it's fed to us. And I've been the be the guy feeding you too. So I, I've hand up on that one. Um, it comes down to discernment. There's a time to tap into that resiliency and to put your nose to the grindstone and get through something that's really challenging for you. But by and large, that becomes, you know, what is the old saying? When you're a hammer, everything's a nail. That's what we end up doing. We end up using that one mode on everything. And so everything just becomes this unconscious, I need to do this, blah, blah. It's in, in, And you just become more and more disconnected from who you are. And I think that is perpetuated so much in the male culture, particularly. And guys think they're doing the right thing because guys that are super successful financially, and say all the right words and have great branding are telling you this. And so what are you going to do? Well, I got to listen to him. He's doing something right. Well, is he? Is he really? Because he's telling you to basically be unconscious all the time. And so again, I, this is like when, when I like to introduce a, a touch of Buddhism to people. In, in, in Buddhism, it's not a binary world. It's not one or the other. It's, it can be both. And so you can grind when you have to. You know, maybe it's a workout and you just have to get through that last bit. But if you're always grinding in your workouts, what's the sense? What are you really doing? Except probably trashing your hormones. You know, so I, I love that you brought this up. I think it's a huge problem. I don't think, uh, I think the people who are selling this are unaware of it. And so I, I don't even want to necessarily hold them accountable. I think that's all they know. And so they're doing the best they can. And so I want to I want to honor that as well, but 
I'm here to tell people listening today that I'm in complete agreement with you, that there needs to be discernment around those ideas. And I think this has been the stuff that has really been the disconnecting piece for a lot of men because they see, again, this, these quote unquote successful people doing this and, and, and telling them this is what they need to be doing. I, I agree with you there too. And it's, and I brought it up because I was conflicted yesterday on this. You know, there was something that I read um, or came across on Instagram yesterday. And I really liked the four points that this person had put out there. I was like, I like these four points. And I would normally repost this kind of thing without putting too much extra thought in there. However, and I'll just say it came from like the, a c- compete every day. It came from like that organization. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, but I don't really believe in competing every day, you know, like that. Again, that whole hustle, grind, compete every day mentality, like that's not the message I wear on the shirt. I like these other four points, but I don't want people thinking that, you know, I believe in that compete every day, you know, hustle, grind. That's the only way to do things because I don't. So it was it was great to hear you kind of yeah. kind of expunge on that. I could see, yeah, I could see the conflict. It's, it's it's a bummer. You're like, God, I really like these four points, but I am not, I am not a believer in that mantra. And and, and I was like, oh well, then am I like a hypocrite if I kind of crop that part out, you know, or not? Or, and and you get into it and go, okay, but I but but to your point also, I think it is really important to be able to to glean these little things from all over the place and then you know, keep the ones you want, you know, think for yourself, keep the ones you want and don't let anyone cause person organization or whatever, you know, kind of force you a hundred percent in any one direction. Yeah, totally. And and again, I've been a, a I, I drank that compete every day Kool-Aid for a long time and it's, it just becomes this, again, it, it's usually from scared energy or for me, it was, just not having any direction. And I was trying to find out who I was in all these external ways and a lot of ways through fitness. Um, but just, just ways to grind and to feel purposeful. And it just doesn't, it just does it's got to come from within and you've got to know that you're, you're good. You're okay. Just accept as is. And when you need to compete, compete, but everything doesn't need to be a competition. Um, and again, don't take our word for it. Con- continue on that road if that's what you feel called to do, but just know that there is another way to do this and it's okay to sprinkle in some, you know, downshifting the gears, um, whether it's in the gym and, or playing basketball with your kid or playing cards or wh- whatever the thing is, sometimes you can take your foot off the gas and just be in the moment. Do you think we we change long term from this experience that we're going through you know right now with covid or we just go back eventually to the way things were yeah i've thought about this and and a couple of ways i look at it i know for one i can only truly um speak for myself and so i don't know what the collective will do I think that'll depend on 
how much longer this goes on, how much awakening is is happening. It feels like it's happening, but I don't know. Uh, I am hopeful that what what I've experienced and my family's experience is going to continue with some meaningful changes in our life that really, and it's just what you're talking about. There's so much grind in our life that's unnecessary. And to really try to figure out when it's important to do that nose to the grindstone and when it's not important. Um, So these are like some of the lessons you know, I think my wife and I have grown closer through this period because we've had, listen, you're, you're talking about the schedule before. My 14-year-old goes to, was going to school 45 minutes away from us. So we have to drive him, right? One of us is in the car for an hour and a half in the morning. And if we're lucky, it's an hour and a half in the afternoon. So if one of us is out of town, that's at least three hours in the car. Now you can listen to podcasts and audiobooks and all that, but it's still... A lot of time. It also breaks up this morning coffee. Like before, I would make my wife coffee and then get in the car and drive him to school, or I would make her coffee before she get in the car. We wake up. Kids aren't up for hour, hour and a half, two hours. Even when they get up, they go get their schoolwork, and they're they're not necessarily coming to hang with us. So we have hours together, hours, and so we really get to enjoy that time together. Now, when they have to go somewhere. Uh, and, and he's not going to that school next year. It was an amazing school for him, but it just was untenable because our daughter, like your older son, our older son drives, and so that's fine, but our daughter and our 14-year-old are going to go to a different school, and it's about 15 minutes away. So mm-hmm. we've made that transition. But um, my point is, is when when the fall rolls around, and let's say they're going back into school and they're not going to be homeschooled because of what the, this situation what are what are Peyton and I going to do to carve out that time together? Because that, like, listen, say what you want. That relationship is so important to me. And I didn't realize it until it was almost gone on a couple of different occasions. And as we've both done our work to fix our own shit and then come into the relationship, we started to realize that this is not, you know, so, so much of our relationship was based upon compromise, um, which I think is common, unfortunately. And, and, and we're working towards this idea of collaboration and what that means for each of us to get what we really want. Like back to that idea, like what do you really want? Well, you can want that for your relationship too. And I can get what I want and she can get what she wants and we can meet at that point and we can support one another and we can grow together. And so we've really understood the value of sitting with one another in a space. And again, this podcast has been a way for us to really explore ideas and have fun and disagree or agree and share what we're learning with people in the different books and the podcasts and the teachers that we've had. And so I don't know, I think we're just, yeah, uh, I can't, again, I can't speak for the collective. I've tried to do that many times in the past and I realized that that's (laughs) just not proper. It's not, you know, it's, it's not going to get me anywhere. I can hope for people, but I can still like, I can't, I can't let that affect how I feel about what I'm doing in a sense. Like everybody's got to do what they feel is best for them. And I think everybody does, even, even when they're maybe not acting in a great way, 
they're doing the best they can. Um, and so I just want to acknowledge that and just be there and love them and, and, and have compassion for them if they're struggling. But, you know, this hits everyone differently. Completely. I'm definitely taking that collaboration versus compromise conversation downstairs when, when we're finished <laughs> with, yeah. with them for sure. For sure. I'm still, I'm stealing that one. I'm just letting you know now. And okay. I, we just, we're just starting to explore it. Honestly, within the last couple of weeks, it's like, Oh fuck. What a, like the light bulb went off. Like this is a whole different lens to look at this. Why don't we both get what we want? Because this is our main partnership. You have friends and family, but this is it. Like if, if like, why wouldn't we strive for that? Why is anybody compromising anything in their life? Why? Yeah, it's a great time to have that conversation with the amount of time that we're spending together right now. So I'll let you know when I fuck that up too. Okay, for sure. <laughs> oh, I will continue to fuck it up, but hopefully I'm aware of it. Where in the past I just was not aware of it and I kept on trucking. Hey, do you... When you record these podcasts, particularly, you know, with your wife and and even with your other guests, do you listen to them back? Once they come out, I'll listen to them. Um, Sometimes I'll listen to them to pull quotes and stuff, but I've had someone been, you know, full disclosure, someone's been doing that for me lately, but I will listen to them just because I've forgotten. Even if it was a week earlier, I, I, you know, like, I'm not really sure what we've talked about and that's a good thing. (laughs) You know, like, I mean, I, I'm totally connected with you right now. And so this is, I, I'm not, there's no self-awareness or self-consciousness whatsoever. So I like to go back and listen, just be like, oh, that's kind of cool. Or, and I also, also, it was important for me in the beginning to listen to how I sounded. I had a lot of, uh, my cadence was a little faster than it is now. And because of that, I recognized I would use a lot of pause words. And as I slowed down just enough, those went away. And so I wanted to pay attention and just see how I thought I sounded and just kind of self-critique and figure out what ways I could improve. And so that's another reason I listen. Um, But again, I just want to hear what my guests have to say. And I want to make sure that I'm like, am I providing, am am I getting across what I want to very clearly? Am I actually providing a, platform for people to play with ideas and to unlearn because that's my goal. And so how do I, and, and, and I've realized that I've tried to be more intentional, you know, like you'll have questions laid out for your guest, and you may ask the first one and it just goes wherever it goes. And that's awesome. Um, right. Or you just start talking like we did and then oh, I'm just going to hit the record button and we'll deal with the rest of this later. Yeah. You know, we can do intros and outros later, but it's like, okay, the guy's already riffing. Like, let's go. It's a conversation. Yeah. And that's beautiful. And it's, it's, you know, but again, I want to make sure that the podcast is providing value for people. I want them to come and walk away like, okay, so this is something somewhat actionable. I don't, I'm not a go do the three step thing, but I want to give examples of how these things can look in your life so you can try them out. I'm not telling people what to go do to fix their shit. It's like just allowing, you know, like what are you called to do? And I just really want to give people permission in a sense to just do whatever the fuck you want. You know, don't listen to me or, or take my word or whatever you want to do, but there's no judgment. 
what types of guests do you tend to gravitate towards? You know, like, what do you, what are you looking for um, to unlearn? I want, you know, first and foremost, there has to be a vulnerability there. And if you can't, if you're not there yet, that's fine. I still love you. You may be a future guest, but if you can't come on and speak honestly about the ways you've fucked up, like, and get to some really good shit, then you're not going to serve. There's too many people out there telling you how to fix your life without telling you anything about themselves and just giving you platitudes. Like, fuck that. That just, that doesn't land for anybody, or at least it doesn't land for me. And I want people to listen who want to hear real life stories about people who have been in that darkness and what they've learned there. And they honor that darkness and they bless that darkness and they are grateful for that darkness. They've, they've gotten to that point of awareness and consciousness around what they're doing. They don't think that they've got it figured out. They know they're on a path that is never ending and they're excited about it. And they, they just have a different energy. Like I wouldn't have been a guest on my podcast three years ago. Um, as I've done this work, now I would be, I could be a guest on my podcast. But I think there has to be a certain level of awareness about where you're at in, in, acceptance of it. And if, and if you, you know, if you're not in the acceptance part right now, like I had a, a guy who's going to, I'm going to, a uh, guy, Wes Hurt, who, um, he's the guy who founded Clean Water, Clean Cause. He's mm-hmm. based out of Austin, which is a great, um, a great company. It's a beverage company. They, they started out with water and now they do uh, yerba mate. And the idea is that 50% of the profits go to help people in drug and alcohol addiction. And so that's where he came from. Now, the reason I bring up Wes is because it was a fascinating podcast. I loved it. I'd never met him before. And I, I, I never do that. I only have people on that I know right now. Until I run out of mm-hmm. people I know that I feel like have a compelling story, then I'll start to, to do people that I'm introduced to. But I had Wes on and... Um, I would say he's in the beginnings of accepting some of the parts of himself. And, um, and so the only reason I bring it up is you don't have to be in full acceptance. I'm certainly not in full acceptance of myself, but you have to be aware of the shit you've done. Like he has, and he comes out and his kimono is wide open. There's nothing he won't talk about. And that's the important part for me is you can't take yourself too seriously. If you do, I, like I said, I love you, but there's some, there's some armoring there that you still need to get through to, for, in order for you to get to your true self and to, and to believe in your true self. And so I guess that would be the biggest thing. You know, listen, I've had, I had Lance Armstrong on. He's a friend of mine. Um, and yeah, there's Lance is compelling anytime he gets on the mic, but he, he was really vulnerable and he owned his shit in a way that I hadn't seen him do publicly. And so I was super grateful for him to do that. Um, but I have people on like my buddy, Dave Regula, who I traded with in Chicago and he opened up a gym with his wife in Akron, Ohio. And after the podcast, he's like, I don't understand why anybody would listen to this podcast. <laughs> right. Just very, just very humble. <laughs> I said, yeah, that's why they're going to listen 
because you're vulnerable. Your, your, your story just by being who you are is so compelling. He's a guy who is like, again, shows up masculine. He's in great shape, but can say to his wife when things are really hard. And it's not like he's just a complete wuss about it, but he's honest. And that integrity shows through. And so, and I'm like, dude, I don't care if people, like people aren't going to listen to your episode as much as they list the Lance's. Okay. I get it. Right. The name recognition <laughs> definitely bears some weight, but people are going to get so much from your episode. And they did, they loved it. It was amazing. You know? So, uh, yeah, I'm not going to turn down someone who's got a really cool story that is very well known. I mean, that just, I mean, speaking frankly, that helps my my visibility, right? But Lance was a special case because he's a friend of mine, and um, but even that, I didn't know I didn't know what he was going to share, and he didn't he didn't hold back. I was fucking stoked. Yeah, I think you make a really good point. I think there is a balance between you know, what the high profile, let's say, guest, and the individual that maybe the public hasn't heard of, you know, I'm a big believer, you know, everybody's got a story, you know, yeah. there. And the, the, the majority of the great stories, we don't know. We haven't heard them because they're happening from real people and real men day in and day out. So I think, you know, the balance of having, yes, it's helpful to have some high profile guests, but I feel I've gotten more value. And I think the audience has gotten more value, value out of a lot of individuals that they didn't know, you know, before versus let me hear so-and-so on his 10th podcast of the last two months because there's a book out and I got to run the circuit. You know, and I've heard those stories now five different ways from five different hosts. Totally. Or five same ways from five different hosts. Well, that's another thing. I think there are a lot, you know, and and there's some great ones out there and I, and I'll listen to them, but I've been asked a few times like that. Well, do you want so-and-so on the show? I'm like, I've already heard it already. And I also know whatever I'm asking, they're going right back to saying it exactly how they want to say it because yeah. they're trained. That's yeah. the message they're putting out there. Yeah. And, and that's great and all for, um, but kind of in seeking, you know, authenticity and trying to bring new stories uh, that, you know, you mentioned this earlier on that are relatable, you know, that's the thing relatable in terms of lifestyle and similar situations. And you are much more relatable in those similarities than maybe somebody that they see as a, as a public figure, you know, or in a lifestyle that is not similar to theirs. Yeah, exactly. And that, and, and again, you had asked earlier, um, it's one of the things I try to be super aware of that when I speak, um, to try to to speak from not someone who's retired at forty one. I, I and I, I don't um, I don't want to downplay that either, and I don't apologize for it or any of that. But like, what is the human condition? What is the male human condition, particularly, and what can I speak to that um, is honest and authentic? And will resonate with people, um, and I think I think you're right. I think there can be a lot of value there. And listen, I understand it's got to be hard to go talk about your book on ten different podcasts. I mean, it's for me. You know, a lot of people will ask me about the Las Vegas experience, and I, I try to do a different version every time. And it's 
you know, it, beca- it becomes hard. Um, yeah. but at the end of the day, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Um, it's all good. As long as you're kind of telling the story and you're engaged with the conversation, it comes out like a, how it, how it needs to. Yep. I want to ask you one other thing. And it, it goes back around a little bit to the, to the collaboration and, and the compromise, but you also a number of times throughout this conversation talked about the things that you do with your family, with Peyton, your wife, and, and the hours that you guys have together even now and, and before. What about alone time? Do you need alone time? Do you want alone time? Do you carve it out for yourself? Yes, 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 and yes. I mean, uh, infinite yeses. And I think that's lost on a lot of us. And it, honestly, particularly women. I, I feel for the mothers out there who don't understand that you can take time for yourself. It's really important. And in fact, um, I'm a big believer that as parents, we're modeling behavior for our kids. We're, we're not trying to create little versions of us. And, and I, I know we try to do that sometimes, but that's not our, that's not our role. And that's when we go down that path, it's, it's misguided. We're modeling behavior. And so for those moms out there who kind of get up on the cross and say, I've got to do this for my kids and I got to do that for my, you're modeling behavior for your kids and particularly your young girls. And I don't, I don't mean this in a judgmental way, but I just want to paint a picture. We, and this is what, this is what I gained from one of my podcasts with actually it was Dave's wife, Lauren, who's a professional, uh, not professional, but Olympic softball pitcher for team Canada three times. Well, it was going to be three times this year, but she's like, mom's out there. Like you, you need to take time for yourself because you're going to show your daughters this is how you care. This is self care. If you're running yourself ragged and in doing what everybody else wants you to do, or or what you think, what you assume everybody else wants you to do, then you're going to be modeling behavior that that's what they should be doing when they're your age. And you need to. I would. I would suggest you ask yourself: Is this the life I want for my daughter? when she's my age. And if you can say yes, then great. Then you're on point. But if you say fuck no, then start making those changes and take care of yourself. And and, and this is your life too. And so you don't need to be that martyr um, or think you have to be there in all these different ways. Maybe ask your husband or your kids what they really want. And maybe you'll see that there's much more time for you. So back to your question for me, Yes. I, whether I'm working on the podcast, like every day I spend hours just working on stuff, but yeah, at night I'll go take a bath for an hour and I'll be listening to music or listen to meditation. It is crucial that I have my alone time. Now I recognize that given the nature of my quote unquote job as a podcast and a newsletter and and whatever else, I have a lot more time um, to devote to myself. But I think it's important for men and women out there to find those times for yourself. You you need that quiet time, that stillness, that deep stillness. And and honestly, it can be as simple as, and this is another thing my my old fitness coach, James, gave to me. So when you drive home from work, this is back when I was trading, he said, turn off the music, turn off the podcast, turn off everything. Drive home for that 20 Sometimes it was 50 in an hour, those minutes in silence and just 
allow for those all those thoughts in your head to to go away. So you've done what do you say 25 20, 24 25 episodes now of the great unlearn? I think so. I think I have uh maybe 19 released and I have another I probably have four or five in the queue. Yep. What's your go-to question? So funny. I don't really have one. And, and, and the guy that I'm working with is like, dude, you kind of like need a question to ask people, like to, to bring it home. And I think the obvious one, I mean, if it's gotta be obvious, like what are you in the process of unlearning? And um, I just, for some reason, it hasn't felt good for me to ask that question. It feels forced. So I don't know. I haven't landed on doing it yet, to be honest with you. Is there something you wish either a guest or when you are a guest, is there something you want people to ask you? And for whatever reason, you're like, they just never do. Like, why Like why doesn't anybody ever ask me about that? Mm, that's a great question. That's a fucking great question. Wow. I might use that one. Take it. That that feels really good. See, that's authentic, right? The other one feels forced for me. Um, Mm. You know, no, I, I, I always, here's whenever I've, I've been on someone else's podcast. um, I always feel like no matter what, you know, someone's a great interviewer or not, I feel like I, I can get to what I feel like is important for people to know, whether it's about me. And and for me, it's really important because I spent so long, I feel like with people just thought I had it figured out and was, you know, like I said before, living the life and must, you know, to to, to the point where my dad, when he for, for heard my solo cast, just like wow i had no idea like your life was that challenging at times it's like yeah, fucking dad didn't even know but like everybody everybody maybe that's the thing everybody has their shit i don't care what you've achieved i don't care how much money you have i don't care if you work or don't work everyone has their shit their human shit and i think it's really important to understand that. And that's important for me to understand that everybody has their things um, that are hard for them and to show compassion for them and to show compassion for yourself that it's okay. This is, it's supposed to be this way. You're, it's supposed to be tough at times. It's okay. Just allow it to be tough and work through it. Um, but don't think it should be any other way than it actually is because it is the way it is. That's when we start to get into problems with we resist what's happening. I shouldn't have financial problems or I shouldn't. Well, but you do and that's what's happening. So just own that. And so I think that's an important thing for people to understand. But what I was going to say is uh, one of the, the things that I got a lot of value out of when I was, so I was a guest on three podcasts before I started my own and I love the opportunity to tell the full story. I felt like people mm-hmm. thought retired, physically fit, amazing wife, 
all of the other stuff just, you know, put me on a pedestal in some ways. And, and when, when you don't know how to handle that and you think you are on those pedestals, you end up internally pulling yourself off the pedestal because you know the full story. And mm. so it's being able to voice the full story and to say where I fuck up and continue to fuck up and the things I've done in the past that everybody else has done. And so look, like we're all human and don't think that, um, yeah, that that absolves, you know, because I've had some financial success that is, absolves me from the pain that other people feel. Um, and I don't, I'm not a victim either. I don't like, that's the other thing, like stop playing the victim. Like just fucking own it. Um, and so again, I, I just, it's important for me to share those parts of me because it, I feel like it gives other people permission to connect with those parts of themselves that they want to disown because I spent a lot of years wanting to disown parts of me and it just created a lot of suffering for me. And as I've owned it, it's just, and I don't have to be proud of what I did, but I did do it. So what am I going to do? You know, I just have to own it. That's awesome. It's, it's, it's truthful. It's vulnerable. It's authentic. Uh, it is what you are all about. Cal, thank you so much for all of your time today. I really appreciate it, man. This has been awesome. Oh, Greg, this was awesome. What an awesome conversation. I'm so grateful for the opportunity, man. Great to finally get on with you. Terrific. I want to, so where do people find you also? Let's not forget about that because we got to get more of this. Okay. So my podcast is The Great Unlearn and you can obviously find that anywhere where, where uh, podcasts can be listened to. Uh, thegreatunlearn.com is my website. You can sign up for my newsletter, which is a weekly newsletter like yours. Comes out on Sunday, huh? How about that? There you go. We got a couple of things to read now. Yeah. And so, um, and then I'm on social media. To be fair, I'm most active on Instagram. I do have a Facebook deal just because I was told I should. Um, but I really, I kind of pay attention to the Instagram and it's Bunker Cal, but I do believe that's going to be changing. Um, it's been Bunker Cal forever. It was like my gym is called The Bunker. So that was just what I named my Instagram back years ago. Um, so it may, it may turn into cal.callahan. So, but yeah, that's it. And, uh, I just got an, Oh, I got to plug my new ebook. That yes, that was good. Out. Good. I was going to make sure we didn't forget that. Yeah. Go to getunlearned.com and it's, uh, five of, uh, five really close friends, but but guests on my podcast also shared a way that they've been unlearning or have unlearned some of their previous programming. So Lance Armstrong, Aubrey Marcus, J.P. Sears, Bill Rancic, and Boyd Vardy. And it just came out. So today's the 19th. It came out officially on May 17th, but go to getunlearned.com to get a copy. It's awesome. It's fun. Um, there's links to the podcast that I did with each of them within the, 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 the book. So I'm excited about it. Um, uh, it was a lot of work and, and it was a lot of work for my partner in this. He did an amazing job putting it together. Um, and each of the guys who contributed, I'm super grateful for. So yeah, thanks for, thanks for the platform, brother. 
Now, this is amazing. Thank you so much. Cal Callahan, Midlife Mail Podcast. Guys, if you like what you have heard, go over, give us the five-star rating, leave a nice review, and then get right on over to The Great Unlearn and listen to more from Cal. Thank you so much, my man. This is terrific. All right. Much love, brother. Peace. You've been listening to the Midlife Mail Podcast with Greg Scheinman, presented by Ends Group. Ends Group is ensuring success. For more information, visit endsgroup.net. All right, guys, I want to talk a little bit about Mascot Books. They are one of the country's leading hybrid book publishers, and they can take your big idea and transform it into a print or digital book that matches your voice and vision. Whether your story is one of growth, balance, success, or all of the above, Mascot Books will bring it to life. Head over to mascotbooks.com to learn more. I am a big believer that everybody has a story. Everybody's got a book in them. Not just the athletes, CEOs, entrepreneurs, risk takers, but everybody. You know you've got an idea for a book. If you do, if you want to put it out there, head on over to mascotbooks.com. These guys are the best in the business. I have known Naren Ariel and his crew at Mascot Books for years. I've had him on the Midlife Mail podcast. Go back and check that out. We've also had a couple of his authors on the show as well. If you've got that story in you, if you want to be an author, you can do it. Mascotbooks.com. want to thank these guys for supporting the show, keeping the midlife male movement growing. Mascot Books. Check it out.